Welcome, boils and ghouls, to Handle with Scare, a horror podcast brought to you by Tumbly Drunk and Holly Hooch. Be sure to stay connected with us via social media on Twitter at Handle with Scare. You can email the show at handlewithscarepod at gmail.com and find more information on our website at handlewithscarepod.com. So joining me tonight, as always, is my co-host, Holly. And Holly, you know, we just wrapped up our Killer Kid Month as we deep dove into pedophobia uh, with the timeless classic where uh, getting spanked pales in comparison to be literally smitten (laughs) by God to end the movie in what was one of the most shocking endings of any movie I've ever seen, which is saying something, especially for this genre. Uh, so, like, <laughs> what a what a way to end it with a, a quite literally a bane in this case. I mean, you're absolutely right when you're talking about, like, the genre and how, uh, <laughs> you know, we've, we've been so desensitized to, to blood and gore that to see a movie from the 50s come through and really deliver... That's pretty rad, you know, it, it, it holds up. It holds up really well, the bad seed. Absolutely. So we are moving on to our next phobia. And, you know, this next one that we mentioned on our last episode is one that, you know, looking through, I know initially when we were brainstorming ideas, uh, just the amount of hard hitters in regards to genre titles in this mm-hmm. specific phobia Like, there are no shortage of options. This is one that we could easily circle back to at a later date, but we're tackling technophobia over the next month, and we got some awesome stuff uh, in store for you guys. So, you know, again, technology, everyday part of our lives. We all, all deal with technology in one way or the other. But, you know... There are many worries and reasons to fear technology. Now, I'll, I'll go over a few instances. Uh, you know, a lot of people are fearing about, you know, robots potentially taking away jobs from people. Uh, people are always worried about an EMP blast uh, going off and, you know, what sort of chaos that can cause. Uh, you know, there's a 5G networks causing cancer and all the fucking, uh, like... conspiracy theories about that uh you also have a lot of like doomsday scenarios and a lot of that is i mean let's be real a lot of it stemmed from terminator uh uh, with robots just hell-bent on destruction or you know maybe missiles launching by themselves to ignite world war three you know the the list goes on and on for technophobia and at at the end of the day like i i think tonight's selection at, at, at its Beautiful. time, <laughs> was so ahead of the curve in regards to mm-hmm. what it was trying to present with technology. And to know that it came out in 83 is really an eye-opener. So I cannot wait to talk about this movie as hard as it may be to describe in some sequences because there is a lot of weird imagery. Uh, but, you know, we'll get into that in just a bit, but, like, it's Cronenberg, <laughs> true and true, and, you know, a lot of people herald this as his best, if not one of his best. I would agree. I mean, uh, just going down the list of wonderful movies from Cronenberg, like, it's just, the dude's a genius, and I'm so happy to be uh, talking about this movie today, because there's so much to talk about. It is just jam-packed, full of tidbits, and I wrote them all down. Absolutely. So, the short... The short end of the synopsis is a programmer at a TV station that specializes in adult entertainment searches for the producers of a dangerous and bizarre broadcast. All right, so we're talking Videodrome released in 1983 by David Cronenberg, one of my personal favorites. And who knows, this might not be the only Cronenberg movie that we talk about this month, because I don't know what you have lined up yet, but... uh, you know, a I lot of people, a lot yeah, of people ahead, love the Fly remake, which is another really good one for this phobia. Fantastic and if, we, one, yes. if we don't touch it this time, that's definitely one that we could circle back to. But, you know, Cronenberg at his core has a lot of technology in his movies. Again, this does touch up on body horror that is kind of his element. So let's jump into this because this movie, no matter how many times I've watched it, <laughs> still has... It's so crazy. 
a lot of like things that I'm still trying to digest, right? Like mm -hmm. there's just so many things that happen and it's just, it's hard to make sense of everything in one sitting. And you know, that's one of the most appealing things about Videodrome to me is just the fact that it has that watchability aspect where I could go in with a fresh set of eyes almost every single time I end up watching this movie, which is not something that you really get to see a lot in really any movie or any genre. Right. Uh, I was uh, just, yeah, like, uh, I, forgot. I lost my turn of thought. <laughs> but I was just going to say that, um, yeah, just, uh, I just, I watched it, of course, you know, a long time ago. And, you know, rewatching it now for, for this podcast is just, I just kind of forgot how damn good it is, how, how sticky good it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, just jam packed full of like symbolism. And although, uh, you know, when we did, um, well, we did uh, Good Night Mommy, and I was going on and on and on about all these different layers and all these different, you know, uh, uh, symbolic, you know, this or that. Uh, I, you know, of course, you can go down that route with Cronenberg, but uh, reading a little bit about the background of how this movie got made, or it's sort of the the space in which it got made. So, uh, Canada, eighties. Uh, tax breaks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> did you read up on that? I um, I did not. I know Videodrome was basically like his first big budget in regards to mm -hmm. like a studio release, which is also a pretty big deal. Uh, but this is a movie that really bombed at the box office. But, you know, it, it did eventually gain that sort of cult status. And, you know, as I mentioned, you know, looking back, a lot of people go to this as, uh, you know, the, the big Cronenberg movie out of his filmography. Sure. I, but what I was trying to get at was that this movie was made in a in a time where uh, and and I'm not even talking about the era or the 80s. Mm -hmm. It's just that there was a certain sort of like tax haven that could be had in films in Canada in the 80s. And uh, you had to make your movie in September through December in order to be able to get like lots of money from investors because they were trying to offload money before the end of the year so that they could, you know, uh, uh do better on their taxes and so he was in this sort of like uh, space where every year like if they're hey man do you have a movie to make and he says yes here it is and so they start making it and so long as you got us to a certain level of completion you could get that money mm -hmm. but uh in this particular movie i think he was already like halfway through like the movie still not knowing how it was going to end so <laughs> the reason i bring this up is to, for for myself not to get so attached to symbolism or get too attached to me trying to read all the different levels because there might not have been that many levels that he purposefully added to the movie. Right. That being said, though, there's a shit ton, so we can get right into it. Yeah. All right, so immediately we are introduced to Max Rend, who is the president of Civic TV, a television station that specializes on more of the edgier programming that the other networks won't bother to touch. And a lot of that is just due to the fact that it's either pornography, it is all about, uh, you know, like violence, things of that nature, murder, and all that good stuff. And uh, that is Max Ren's specialty at Civic TV. So one of the interesting things right out of the gate that we see is rather than getting his appointments handed to him at the office that he works at, uh, he basically receives a videotape uh, or like a telecast from his secretary, Friday James, which, you know, right out of the gate, this is something kind of out of the ordinary. You know, typically, you know, maybe someone is leaving a message on the phone. Maybe you have a sticky note. And here we are having the secretary basically just dropping off a videotape so he knows, you know, basically what his schedule is going to be for that day and time. So already right out of the gate, something we're not used to seeing. Uh, so basically, we learn that he has a meeting uh, later in the day about acquiring some additional programming for Civic TV, uh, which is Samurai Dreams, which is uh, basically some softcore Asian porn. It's smart, man. <laughs> I mean, that that is the Civic specialty. So, you know, they they are just looking to uh, add more to their catalog. But, you know, one of the interesting things about this interaction is just, you know, rather than wanting to start from the pilot of Samurai Dreams, he, just, he basically just wants to see the latest episode, which is the 13th out of this installment. Uh, and, you know, the seller is basically like, you know what, like, you're not going to get the plot as if that is of any importance for this type of programming, right? Like, nobody cares right. about the plot in porn. Like, that's not what they're there for. So it's just like... You know, 
<laughs> but let's not disregard really good plot and porn because that can actually make a difference. But uh, but going back to the movie, uh, I well, it's just sort of like speaking to his, uh, you know, what do you call it? Like Overstimulated, like instant mm-hmm. gratification. Like that's that is is his goal, right? It's just it's got to be good. It's got to be big. It's got to be bloody. It's got to be violent. It's got to be sexual. Mm-hmm. Which you know what? That's not a bad. That's not a bad business model. I'll tell you. Yeah, whatever gets more eyes on the screen at that point. Yeah, that'll do it. Absolutely. <laughs> so he basically brings this videotape uh, to the other board members. And, you know, they're basically just like, you know, this just has too much class to too it. Soft. You know, too it's classy. it's it's too soft. It's it, it, it was definitely <laughs> softcore in this case. And, you know, they're basically looking for that next breakthrough, something that has a little more grit to it, something that is tougher around the edges. And Samurai Dreams is not going too- to cut it. Too Skinamax. It was way too soft, even for, you know, 2021 eyes. I was like, mm, OK, that's that's nice, I guess. Yeah. You know, mm. they're just like, you Here's know, your Oscar. this isn't <laughs> doing anything for me. But, you know, they did kind of note like, you know, maybe uh, bridging off into more like Oriental stuff could bring in a different market that maybe Civic mm-hmm. TV didn't have. So, uh, you know, again, that kind of like ties into some of the more controversial programming that they may acquire at a later date. Uh, so then. We're introduced to Harlan, uh, who operates the satellite at this TV station, and he's picked up this feed uh, that he found pretty intriguing, and he shows it to Max, and it is of Videodrome. So basically, we just get like a very small snippet, Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, we don't really have a lot to go off of at the time, because when he did pick up the signal, they basically had... Uh, a scrambler for an unscrambler, so they didn't really have a consistent feed. So we only got a small glimpse, but it was enough to kind of intrigue Max right out of the gate. Yeah, that was a, that was a good like a good little introduction um, with Harlan, who's going to become one of the uh, ma- major minor players in the movie. We certainly see him a lot, and he has an interesting death letter on. But we've come to the better scene, to the TV show. Which is, of course, where we meet Blondie, or as she goes by in this in this particular movie, Nikki Brand. And man, she did really well in this movie. God, I loved her. Yeah. So basically, what we learned at the start is, you know, this feed for Videodrome is potentially coming from Malaysia. Uh, oh shoot! You still want and to- <laughs> Max? I moved on. Too no, it's fast. fine. It's Sorry. fine. Uh, so Max basically sees it as, you know, the potential future of television, uh, and. He's wanting to begin to use the show unlicensed moving forward to air on Civic TV. But anyways, then we get to Nikki Brand, who is this yes. radio personality. Uh, and the two of them are appearing on the uh, the Rena King show to discuss television and social responsibility. Uh, because right out of the gate, Rena is saying how, like, well, aren't you worried that uh, you're giving all these people, all these viewers, like, a, a bad outlet, essentially, because you have all these shows depicting, you know, sex and violence, and they're going to act out upon seeing things like this. Uh, and, you know, Nikki basically makes this comment about how time and time again, we decide to gorge ourselves on simulation. Uh, and, you, mm-hmm. you know, you're always craving more. And Max is just fixated on Nikki's uh, red dress, which he finds very stimulating. And right out of the gate, you know, you you can you can feel the sexual tension between the two. He's constantly trying to ask her out to dinner. All the meanwhile, this interview uh, is continuing with another <laughs> yes. professor. Uh, and you know, like it's probably a little rude to continue, you know, your conversation while the interview is still happening, with, like with someone else in this party. Uh, but basically, we're introduced to. Professor Oblivion, who does play a bigger role in all of this. And, you know, he has this really interesting quote towards the beginning where he's saying that the television screen has become the retina of the mind's eye. So basically Mm -hmm. everyone is fixated on technology or their television screens. And he has this vision kind of like put in place because he does also uh, run this like shelter for the homeless where they basically like bring people in to like binge watch television because that's their way of like fixing them <laughs> it's it's such it's a so, weird weird I, thing i took that as being like well um his daughter mentioned something uh what was it that she mentions uh, uh connecting them uh, uh to the world's mixing board or mm-hmm. patching them into the world's mixing board and you know what i can sort of see where they're coming from so uh did you ever notice that when you're watching like netflix or anything that doesn't have commercials 
Oh, I think Netflix has commercials now. Anyway, but when you're watching a streaming service without commercials and you're just binge watching something from like 30 years ago or something like that, and all of a sudden you get this like impulse to watch like some Hulu with just for the commercials because then you can feel connected to your fellow human beings by watching crappy commercials just because at least you're watching the same thing as everybody else and you kind of see where, you know, the... Am I... Is this landing? I don't know. Well, see, like the... (laughs) I guess my argument for that would be, well, if I'm just wanting to be left alone and I'm hermiting in my room just binge-watching, you know, any streaming <laughs> service, I don't really care if there's a break in between or infomercials or commercials or anything like that. I just want to consume whatever is on the screen and that's it. Right. But, you know, <laughs> if you're watching something at the same time as other people, then you're sort of connected. You're sort of on, you're sort of on the same wavelength, on the same page. And I feel like that's what they were talking to. It's not as particularly mm-hmm. the commercials, but they're talking to they're talking about how if you're if 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 you're exp- having the same experience as everybody else, then you're connected to humanity, which is not untrue, but it's kind of scary, particularly when you think about how the internet's going these days. So absolutely. So while all this is happening, Renus wants to know whether or not Max is a menace to society. And Nikki basically chimes in, well. <laughs> she doesn't know. Like, he's certainly a menace to me. And, uh, you know, already, like, something is going to happen between these two. Yes, there's a lot of sass in, in regards to Nikki. Uh, so we head back to the studio where we see Harlan again. And this time, we have a better lock on the feed for Videodrome. Uh, and it turns out it's not actually coming from Malaysia. It is based in the United States out of Pittsburgh. Uh, Why so- Pittsburgh? I... <laughs> You know, maybe (laughs) they're in Toronto, by the way. Right. Um, I I have I have a reason to suspect why it's Pittsburgh, but I'll get into that later. It might Uh, it might be more about the materials and the business front of Ah. uh, of the optical place that we'll talk about later because it's all a front. Uh, But anyway, so Max and Nikki, they eventually meet up uh, and Nikki is just like rumbling like stumbling through like all of his vhs collection uh looking for porn basically uh in this sequence Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's there that she stumbles across the videodrome tape uh max basically is like you know it's it's not sex uh to which nikki just looks at him is like says who (laughs) yeah she's got great lines on this (laughs) and and you know the reason why she responds that way is uh pretty obvious because you know we'll we'll learn that she's the sadomasochist so Mm -hmm. we we see that she has a bunch of like knife marks like on her uh her shoulder blade uh and you know she tries to get max to take out his swiss army knife to cut her and one of the things that I thought was really interesting is despite the fact that Max basically runs towards like this torture based show, when it comes to wanting to actually like inflict any sort He's of pain, he has his boundaries. Mm-hmm. He seems very hesitant to actually cut oh, Nikki during this uh, sexual scene between the two. No, yeah, absolutely. And I, I thought that was like a nice little, a nice touch, you know, that uh, he's got these, he's got breaks. She's got these boundaries, but she's helping him or I don't know, helping him, but she is instrumental in breaking down those for him because he does eventually engage in all the different uh, uh, violence slash sex that she is interested in. And uh, it's, you know, little by little, you know, you start with like pricking the the earlobe and (laughs) next thing you know, we'll get into that later. But (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah, I thought that was that was uh, that was a really good uh, way for him to to sort of break through, like, basically what's left of his normal humanity, I guess, into Videodrome. Absolutely. So we head back to the studio where uh, Max arrives at the office, and there he finds uh, Masha, who is a softcore pornographer, basically awaiting him to showcase whatever the show she's currently working on to try to sell it to air on the network. That shit uh, was real soft, too. Yeah, <laughs> that that. Very classy as well. Uh, but Max doesn't really care about that. He's basically looking for something that is going to show people what's actually going on under the sheets, right? Uh, and not a show that, as as he says, is just too naive, like, like Masha in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now, his main goal is just wanting to learn more about Videodrome. And he asks Masha about it. Uh, Masha basically says, like, you know, she'll help him track it down. Uh for a commission, basically. So she has her asking price to learn more about whatever this show is. 
Uh, so we'll, we'll start to slowly unravel here, but basically mm-hmm. Nikki is telling Max, like, you know, I'm going out on assignments, and guess where I'm going? I'm flying out to Pittsburgh. Going to Pittsburgh. And so excited. <laughs> she is so hellbent on auditioning for Videodrome, saying that she was made for this kind of show. And Max just looks at her, dead in the eyes, and is just like, you know, nobody was made for this. Uh, you know, it's rougher than what even Nikki Brand likes, you know, and she basically takes it up as a challenge. Like, mm-hmm. oh, is that what you think? Well, let me just further dive into my kinks in this case, uh, because <laughs> she likes and she basically takes out a cigarette and, you know, she's in her, her like black lace bra and she basically uh, wounds herself and burns herself in the chest. And Max is just kind of like perplexed by all of this. I mean, obviously, he knows of her kink, and she likes pain. But I I guess in in his case, it's a little bit different, knowing that Mm -hmm. he wasn't the one who actually inflicted it. So to see someone actually do that to themselves is kind of like a different uh, feeling for him. Mm -hmm. And then she hands him the cigarette so that he can go ahead and do it himself. And all I could think about is like, no, Debbie, not your perfect skin. Oh, Mm. She damaged her boobs anyway. But uh, yeah, that was it. well, that's that's what happens to when all of their because at this point they've already had sex and then it turns into the hallucination where they're in Videodrome doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is just kind of furthering uh, like the, the the different um, the different types of pain that he is inflicting on her. And the first time they had sex, it was just him pricking her earlobes, which I mean, I would assume we're already uh, um, pierced, right. but sort of still like poking around there with a needle and, you know, getting some blood out and. And, uh, you know, as she's uh, enjoying it. And then this is uh, one step further where you're you're burning somebody with a cigarette, which mm-hmm. is, you know, uh, c- certainly more of a, of a torture technique, <laughs> established one at least anyway. But, uh, yeah, definitely like just kind of crossing those boundaries. And while he's and while she's burning herself, he you were saying that he looked perplexed, but I thought there was more like he, there was a little bit more of like a sense of being just horrified because he's very like he's very uncomfortable and he's mm-hmm. he's very uh like he just it just seemed to be one of his bigger reactions and if you see in the movie like he doesn't have a lot of big reactions no but he definitely has them with nikki which uh which was fun yeah okay so yeah this is him pushing boundaries yeah basically james would place himself in this movie because he you know he's just a very smart person in, in real life too <laughs> so you know it makes sense uh but anyways get in uh, back to the videodrome and we're basically wanting to learn more about this so masha meets up with max and you know there's like this heli this like totally like belly dance situation going on in like mm-hmm. this meetup spot which was kind of perplexing in itself in this restaurant i was like where the hell are these guys uh and she's basically <laughs> warning max that videodrome is something to leave alone you know this is not something that was made for public consumption uh which is actually a lie that we learn later on because <laughs> it's more of a weapon in this case mm-hmm. uh but you know we know that there is something political behind videodrome and max was basically like oh so it's like the mafia and no like you don't want to ask about it. Uh, Masha basically outright says, you know, this isn't acting. This is for real. Videodrome is snuff television, and it has its own philosophy, and that's what makes it dangerous. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, Max is still very persistent, wanting to learn more, and he wants a name because he wants to make that sort of connection. He wants to know who he needs to talk to. Uh, and Masha gives him the name of Professor Brian Oblivion, uh, the oh, same professor God. that was yes. on the television show that they were so rudely interrupting the interview of uh, between Nikki and Max in this case. And they basically made a deal between Masha and Max, where Max is like, all right, you know, give me the name and I'll I'll, I'll show whatever softcore uh, television porn sh- show like you were showing me that I rejected initially. So the deal was made and now we are fixated on learning where Videodrome comes from. Right. And they do make a point in that uh, restaurant scene to sort of point out that uh, Masha is also a bit of a, uh, what do you call him, a predator as well. Like, you know, they have that little bit of a back and forth about him saying, hey, man, I'll take a shower with you Mm -hmm. you whenever you want. And she's like, you're a little too old for me, 36-year-old James Woods. Yeah, then she (laughs) eye fucks the, uh, the waiter. 
Right. Who I have no idea how old he was. He couldn't have been that much younger, but uh, which is good. But ultimately, <laughs> just saying, you know, she is also uh, 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 has those predatory sort of instincts that uh, that a lot of the people in the movie have. And that comes up a little later, I think. And I think that is the reason because she kind of has a dark side herself, particularly since she's was able to get information about Videodrome and, and give him the name of Professor Oblivion. So I thought that was a little drop of information there. Yeah, the movie is so compact. I know that Cronenberg uh, is known for like just cutting, editing the shit out of his movies mm-hmm. too, which is a good thing, right? Makes them really fast paced and makes them like just, you're just glued to the TV. If you miss 10 seconds, you've missed a big portion of the movie. But uh, yeah, I loved it. So, but from this step, we go back to Professor Oblivion's and his haven, which would be the cathode ray mission, which has a fantastic name. I'd, I'd go there for free soup. Yep, so that's where all the homeless are hanging out to binge-watch their television, and it's there where we meet Oblivion's daughter, Bianca, who is helping realize her father's vision of a world where television replaces every aspect of life. Uh, so, you know, we, we have this interaction, and Max is basically just wanting a face-to-face conversation with the professor, but it turns out he hasn't been around, he hasn't talked to anyone in person for, like, 20 years, uh... <laughs> And, you know, he mentions Videodrome to Bianca and, you know, she basically just shrugs it off. Like, you know, I haven't heard of it. don't really know what to tell you. And then this is when, uh, you know, we have the secretary breeding Max uh, the wake up tape. And we also have a tape that was sent from Oblivion. And this is where things really start to kick up. And this is where the hallucinations really start to uh come through tenfold in this case, and he starts to hallucinate, and he mentions, like, this rash that he has on his chest, uh, which <laughs> comes into place a, a little bit later, uh, which, you know, imagery, <laughs> it definitely has some imagery involved, and this is a very psychosexual movie, and that includes the rash oh, that Max has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, whether it's the breathing videotapes, uh, Nikki's lips being like super zoomed in on the television screen the whip in the television the television breathing and exhaling the whips you know like 95 percent of this movie is entirely (laughs) sexual uh for the most part no (laughs) no this movie doesn't you know i think the thing that really stood out the first time uh i saw it was more the body horror aspect of it when we start Mm -hmm. to see uh, Max becoming the new flesh and what he essentially turns into later on in the movie. But anyways, uh, so we learn that Videodrome is essentially the battlefield uh, for the mind of North America. <laughs> uh, so this is a political tool that is going to be used and is going to be weaponized. Uh, and we learned that Professor Oblivion had a brain tumor, and his visions uh, have started to, like, make him become and grow, like, this uncontrollable flesh. And this is where, like, the body horror element starts to come into play. Mm -hmm. So, like, when they try to remove the tumor, uh, that basically evolved into Videodrome. Um, So, at the end of, like, this tape from Professor Oblivion, we see Nikki coming into uh, the equation, and she basically garrotes oblivion and she begs max to come to her and this is where like the lip sequence starts to play and you know she's constantly like begging him to come closer to the television screen and you know they have like this kissing moment but max is essentially like head deep in her lips right like well, <laughs> in the screen in the which screen. is now like a, like a bubble or right. like a balloon you know where he can put his face into it and kind of grope it a little bit mm-hmm. so yeah he 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 makes out with his tv which who hasn't we've all been there <laughs> <laughs> let's be real and nobody was home i mean you know some people put on like you know, the uh, the mustaches or the silly hats on the television screen and then drink whenever, you know, heads perfectly aligns. <laughs> you know, Max opts to make out with the, the radio personality on the television screen. You know, everyone has their kinks. Everybody has their kinks. Did you want to talk a little bit more about Professor Oblivion? Because he is an interesting character indeed, and not just from the movie. So he's based on an actual person, okay. Marshall McLuhan. Have you heard of this man? I have not. 
he is a Can- or he was a Canadian philosopher uh, that was involved in his work was all around media and um, his work went from being pretty um, straightforward, uh, you know, something that corporate America could use mm-hmm. to uh, being more existential or maybe it was the other way around. It was more existential. And then when he couldn't get money, then he went more corporate. Long story short, he did a lot of work about how um programming tv programming and commercials are are shaped were shaping culture okay and so uh his work was later later on it was called like you know uh uh pop culture and Mm -hmm. and 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 study and studies in pop culture so like that's where all that shit came from so he's a very interesting dude and also kind of creepy just because (laughs) of the you know when you add a lot of latin names to um to creepy shit it gets Mm -hmm. real culty and it's pretty fun don't get me wrong it's fun but you know that's Marshall Lujan. But anyways, I'm, that's what <laughs> Professor Oblivion was based on. Well, I mean, if horror has taught me anything, it's not to read any Latin. Especially <laughs> right? if it's in a basement, right? <laughs> Don't put it into your computer either. <laughs> yeah. Not taking any chances. Okay, where did we leave off? Are we still in the mission? Uh, okay, so this is after the uh, the head into the lip moment. Yeah, uh, going okay. back to the shelter uh, with mm-hmm. Max meeting Bianca again. And, you know, he, he mentions to her that he's been hallucinating ever since he first saw Videodrome. And, you know, basically at this point, he's just helping. Like, I, w- I want to talk to Professor. Uh, and, you know, it turns out, like, we've only been seeing Professor Oblivion uh, on, on videotapes, essentially, because he had died 11 months ago on an operating table when they went to remove this brain tumor. Uh, so when Oblivion found Videodrome... Uh, you know, he learned that it was to be used for some malevolent purposes, and he attempted to stop his partners, but they ended up using the Videodrome against him. And yeah, that was interesting. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, this is a theme that's actually going to come into play later on mm-hmm. in the movie, uh, because the, the, a similar theme plays out with Max in this case, uh, fighting against, you know, what their cause was uh, in order to, you know, reach a vision that Professor Bolivian initially had. Right. So, and it was kind of, I had to watch it a couple times to sort of understand like who the bad guys were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it gets a little tricky. So we've got the guys doing video drum and well, I mean, well, we've got professor oblivion versus, uh, his other part, earlier partners who are now uh, in charge of video drum. And it's, it's, you get a sense that it's uh propaganda verse versus like some, some sort of like social evolution. But uh, but it gets a little murky as to like why like the motivations behind it, right? Right. But you know we we and we hear a lot more about that. There's a whole scene about it, so we can hold off until then. But I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So we head over uh, basically back to the studio where Max, you know, it's late at night, uh, and this is when he's starting to scratch his rash that is on his chest, <laughs> uh, which eventually <laughs> transforms. So, yeah. Into a slit. I mean, it's definitely a vagina. Like, let's be real. It's a chest vagina. (laughs) (laughs) It is a chest vagina. And, you know, gun, very symbolic (laughs) as well. And he puts it into the slit. Uh, But, of course, this is all just a hallucination. But, you know, that doesn't Mm -hmm. stop him from, you know, fully, like, going arm deep in the thing, right? Like, oh, my gosh. Like, (laughs) like, I remember seeing that the first time. And I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? (laughs) You have to look back at the door to make sure your mom's not in the hallway <laughs> watching you. Okay, close the door. Let's watch the rest of the scene. And did you not think he was so cavalier about that damn gun? Like earlier in the movie where the gun is introduced, mm-hmm. uh, he's taking it out. He's holding it by the barrel. His The the clip falls out of it. He's looking at the business end. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you I think I might have lost you. Oh, you went, oh, can you, you hear me? You went robotic there for a minute. Oh, shoot. But can you hear me now? I can hear you now. What was the last thing that I said? <laughs> uh, you were you were you were talking about how he was handling the gun and the clip fell out. Oh, right. Just how badly he managed it. Mm. And then he later loses it in his own chest vagina. Right. And then he's looking around the couch looking for his gun. I'm like, wow, you're such a bad gun owner. I just got to say. But uh, yeah, that was very symbolic. It's basically know, gun. Chest vagina. <laughs> yeah, basically turning his uh, his couch inside out, like ripping off all the cushions. Where's that gun? That wasn't <laughs> underneath there. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> uh, so Max eventually gets this phone call that night, uh, which is from 
I don't know if it was from the producer, Barry Convix, or it was someone who worked with him. But anyways, Convix, who uh, is someone who, like, runs Spectacular Optical, uh, who is essentially, like, this company who makes glasses for third world countries. Mm -hmm. uh, they were talking about, like, some something with NATO. I, I really feel like, you know, obviously they run Videodrome as well, but, like, this whole Spectacular Optical seems like a front, right? Because there's, like, right. there's all these shady people that work there. And I think the reason that this is based in Pittsburgh uh, for Videodrome was more mm -hmm. so to acquire materials because they are dealing arms. Like, I, I feel like this is all just a gun front. Yeah, well, they do say making weapons for NATO. I'm like, NATO? Mm -hmm. Did they just say NATO? <laughs> and you're just like, mm, I don't know and about that Pittsburgh, one. You know, Steel City or whatever it's called. <laughs> It makes sense. It makes total sense. I hadn't thought about that. Thank you very much. All right. So we're in Pittsburgh. Yep. We're in a spectacular optic. <laughs> we're hanging out with some shady characters. What comes next? All right. So Barry is there to show Max uh, this prototype. And the whole purpose of this is to record one of the hallucinations that Max has been suffering from ever since first seeing uh, Videodrome. So basically, Barry's like, you know what? I want to take this back to the home base. You know, we're... We're going to run our analytics, see what's going on. And, you know, they, he basically says uh, the effects of exposure to things like violence really open up those receptors to the spine. And that helps Videodrome find that signal to sink in, to lock on. And, you know, we know that they're using it as a weapon. And Max is essentially the test target <laughs> mm -hmm. before, you know, they, they move on to like, their next stage of the plan. Uh, so, you know, what I really thought was interesting is just the model of this... Uh, I don't even know how to describe it, because it, you know, it's basically a headpiece. And, it, and it's it's kind of like a helmet that is, like, half of, a, like, a honeycomb. It, like, it lights up, and it, like, kind of, like, phases in and out. You know, it's, it's really weird. Uh, and then you kind of get, like, the VHS distortion... Uh, video of the hallucination that Max is having. And he is hallucinating that he is whipping Nikki uh, on the set in of... In a TV. Uh, a like, video drone. And yes, she's TV, inside yeah. a TV. <laughs> <laughs> but then she turns into Masha. And I'm like, what's happening here, David Cronenberg? Mm -hmm. Why? Why? <laughs> yeah, so Max wakes up back at the studio. Masha's corpse is in his bed. He, he, he calls Harlan to come over to photograph the body as evidence into whether or not he is hallucinating. hallucinating yeah. And, you know, Harlan doesn't know what to make of it. And then he's just like, what, you just want me to sh shoot your sheets? And he's like, no, just go, <laughs> go in there. You know, you'll see why. And then turns out there was no body. There was nobody. But and I'm wondering, because later you find out that uh, uh, Nikki was already dead when she lured him mm -hmm. through Videodrome. And so I'm wondering if Masha, like, was a stand-in for her or, I don't know, man. I, I'm going to stop trying to figure that out. <laughs> but that was, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm curious why uh, Blondie turned into Masha mid-whipping scene. And, and then Masha turns up in his bed dead. But then it turns out to be a hallucination. But we all know she's probably dead. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's always fun. Well, I mean, yeah. there, there is a thing that everyone who appears on Videodrome doesn't return you know, exactly. it's it's the whole situation where if you get killed off in a movie, uh, you're not coming back for the sequel. I mean, unless it's like a comic book yes, movie. Yeah. And then, I go. mean, really, no one stays dead in the comic books. So that's just I know, right? logic. <laughs> you know, rules Did are out the window. $15 or not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyways, okay. uh, Max ends up meeting Harlan back at the studio. And this is where Harlan mentions that, uh, you know, there was no Videodrome feed last night. Uh, mm -hmm. Max is convinced that, you know, he did kill her and he wanted to see the footage. Uh, and there's actually never been a Videodrome footage ever shown on broadcast. Uh, so we learn at this point that Harlan has been working alongside Barry Convix. Uh, and their, their sole goal right now was to get Max exposed to the Videodrome signal. And, you know, Harlan hasn't been hallucinated. And that's because he's never actually seen the feed. It's all been fed directly to Max. Right. And, you know, Max even asked him, like, have you been hallucinating? And then Harlan responds to him, like, well, well should I be? Should I? And he's like, yeah, yes. look. 
<laughs> but, uh, you know, it turns out he is one of the bad guys in this situation. Uh, so Harlan sees Civic TV and its viewers as, like, this rot uh, that is rotting away from the inside that Videodrome is looking to stop. And they plan on using Civic TV as the transmission for Videodrome, Videodrome moving forward. Uh, so this is where we see Barry basically giving Max this uh, Betamax tape. You know, he inserts it into the chest vagina, right? <laughs> uh, and this is basically influencing Max. It's kind of like a virus attacking the, the host, essentially. Uh, and the sole purpose is for Max to use it mm -hmm. to kill his partners at Civic TV so that they could cast Videodrome uh, to you know, whatever, you know, area that they're in, even though this is kind of like a small TV station. Like, I don't I don't really think the outreach is that big for Civic TV. And you probably could have just bought it for like $50,000. They probably didn't have to go through all this mess, although they, they did want to experiment on Max. But, you know, this is where the ideology comes out from Videodrome side. So Harlan starts talking about how uh, that, you know, uh, America's getting soft and that the rest of the world is getting just tougher and tougher and that they need to get, quote, pure, direct, mm -hmm. strong in order to survive. So it's it's this very, uh, you know, it just kind of touches on a little bit of the sort of backward, backwards thinking that um, uh, some people might have about, you know, the, the the ends justifying the means. And so they're they're partaking in all this really sick, violent, horrible shit. But in their head, they're doing it for an altruistic end, which isn't altruistic at all. It is ultimately just propaganda and and trying to control people's minds. But then again, you know, so is, you know, Dr. Oblivion over here. So uh, that's why I was a little going back and forth. I'm like, wait a minute, who's the bad guy? Mm -hmm. But at least Professor Oblivion didn't want to kill anybody. And he was, you know, feeding the homeless. But also that's how cults work too. They recruit mm -hmm. the homeless and then they get a good they get a good base layer going and then they start going after people with money. So yeah, it was uh this movie was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed watching it. And uh well, I'm gonna save all that, all those tidbits till mm -hmm. the end. All right. So right now we are with Harlan uh and Barry, convex, by the mm -hmm. way, like a lens. Right. We get it, David. We get it, David Connorbert. <laughs> on the and nose. <laughs> right on the nose there. Puts the belly, puts the tape in the belly, and he is programmed. He is programmed to go kill. Yep. Now tell him what happens next. All right. So this is when Max die like goes arm deep again, right into his chest vagina to pull out the gun that he had lost because he inserted it into his body uh, in this case. And you know, this is this is where the body horror element starts to come into play because the mm -hmm. gun essentially becomes an extension of Max, where it's kind of like wired uh, to his hand. And this right. isn't, and like, the only time. Yeah, that's not the only transformation we see, because as you mentioned, like, the flesh grows over it, uh, and it's kind of, like, blobbish late, mm -hmm. later on when it gets to that stage. Uh, so, you know, Max, he goes into the studio. He kills his partners. Uh, the secretary, like, kind of pulls him aside, not knowing that uh, he was the one behind it, because he acts like he was shot at as well, uh, which was not the case, obviously, because... He was the shooter, uh, and eventually the 80s. <laughs> he, he does get out, and it seems like his next target is Bianca Oblivion because, well, she just knows too much about Videodrome at this point in time. Uh, so we head back to the shelter, and then we have this, like, face-off moment between Bianca and Max where, you know, they're on opposite sides of the shelter, you know, she goes one way, he goes the other. They're trying to keep up with one another. And Bianca comes up with the idea of showing Max a tape of Nikki's murder on Videodrome. And we have this other reprogramming of Max that happens uh, where it's more to fit her father's cause to turn against the Videodrome. And what was interesting about this sort of situation is we kind of see like a mirrored replica essentially of the deformity with the gun in max's hand and it like puts three bullets in his chest which i thought was very interesting i didn't quite know what to make of that yeah that was and then she uh bianca calls it like deprogramming mm -hmm. or like okay we got we got video dramatic you or something like that and uh and then she of course then programs him to go do her bidding so he's so easily 
he is easily manipulated. <laughs> and uh, I guess that goes again towards the whole cult uh, sort of mentality or movie movie thing that they got going on, movie theme they got going on here. But that was quick. And he's mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm on your side now. She's like, let's go kill Videodrome. He's like, okay. Yep. Death of Videodrome. Long live the new flesh. The flesh. <laughs> Long live the new flesh. I think that's on a shirt somewhere. We need to buy those shirts. Absolutely. So Max is like, all right, I got my new mission. He returns to Spectacular Optical uh, to kill Harlan. And, you know, Harlan is trying to insert a tape. Uh, but turns out, you know, because, like, He's already reprogrammed when he goes to put the new tape in the dress vagina. Max basically ends Damn. up biting him and he like Damn. chews off a very good portion of Harlan's arm, mm -hmm. which is so weird because it hey, seems like Harlan. almost like mechanical when he pulls his stub arm out. There's a box at the end of it rather than a like a, you know, skeleton of a hand or something, mm -hmm. which is which I was like, wait, what? Yeah, that was another confusing thing. And then, you know, he you see Harlan trying to uh, make his escape as he backpedals, only to be blown into smithereens. Why? Cronenberg style. <laughs> That's just, just a specialty, you know? They basically sca just... <laughs> they scattered him in this case. Uh, just not from the head. It was his entire body. And then uh, at this point, we go to back to Spectacular Optic, or rather to the presentation that they are doing on stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have where a train show. Uh, displaying their new spring line uh, with the with the Renaissance theme, which was 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 that supposed to mean something? I don't know. I moved on pretty fast from there. <laughs> but <laughs> but here here comes Max. Max basically coming in, and uh, you know he. Trying to like blend in with the crowd initially, you know, the performance goes and then, you know, he sees Barry on stage and, you know, Max just goes up on the stage and he shoots Barry multiple times. Uh, and, you know, this is probably my favorite sequence in this movie mm -hmm. uh, with the makeup effects uh, from Rick Baker, where we see the bullets like basically like entering the chest and it starts to like tear open the flesh from like the chest cavity all the way to the skull and you see kind of like the pulsating brains you see all of the innards like coming out of the chest cavity as well so really really like unique visual were they like tumors or something because like he was videodrome or some shit because you know like his innards didn't look like regular innards mm -hmm. so i wondered if like you know he was just all tumory but um, but yeah, you know what? He walks away from that too. You know, he kills his partners, walks out, of, walks out the building, kills. You know, just, I was saying like, oh wow, like I, I feel like I sort of miss the '80s because it it just seems like you know fucking old west. You can mm. just get away with anything. <laughs> well, if you're James Woods in 1983, that is. Yeah, I mean the '80s were all over the place, and uh, you know more times than not, it makes for a roller coaster of a movie. Uh, and you know not all of them were hits. Uh, there's definitely been plenty of misses in the 80s just due to the fact that there were so many releases in a short mm -hmm. window and there wasn't a ton of production time because they were just pumping them out left and right. Right. Uh, and, you know, even in this case, you mentioned like the tax break window uh, in, in the fall uh, as well. But basically, OK, so getting back to this, we see Barry's, you know, chest, his innards going all over the place. Uh, and Max is looking to seek shelter on like this derelict boat. After all of these Shipyard. murders uh, happen. Uh, and it's there that we see a new tape being played. And we do see Nikki again via this tape. Uh, and she tells him that Videodrome still exists. And Max is going to have to go to the next phase of the plan. So we're kind of at the point where this is the beginning of the new flesh. And Max has to totally transform. And in order to become the new flesh... Max has to kill off the old flesh. So Nikki basically shows Max on tape uh, footage of Max shooting himself in the head. And then we see the television explode. You know, we see a lot of innards of flesh kind of like pouring out from the television screen after this. And Max, you know, he sees this. He knows what he has to do. He follows through and he shoots himself in the head to end the movie <laughs> and there it is <laughs> thanks david that's uh that's the end of a uh, video drum but yeah i mean like i couldn't get over just um how great the movie was i hadn't i hadn't seen it in such a long time 
And because of this podcast that we're doing, I don't I don't have like multiple screens in my face whenever I'm watching a movie now. <laughs> whenever I'm watching a movie that we're going to be reviewing because I'm paying attention and then you just kind of you pick up on everything and everything was just so well done in this in this movie. I just really enjoyed it. How did you feel about it? How do you feel about it now, you know, versus when you saw it the first time probably a long time ago? You know, I, I definitely feel like over time I have picked up more, like as I mentioned, like with the the whole company front of uh, the optical company. Because like before, I, I just kind of like brushed that off where, you know, like this seems like a legit business. You know, there's mm-hmm. nothing else going on behind the scenes. They have their own political agenda. And then, you know, that was kind of like the, the end of it. But, uh, you know, I, I've always been drawn to the visuals of this movie. Obviously, there there is a lot of, you know, this is a psychosexual horror movie through and through like and it is so obvious from start to finish uh in in this movie as well because not a lot of those types of movies have the the visual presentation of that throughout the entirety of the movie you know it it's just so obvious you know the the penetration aspect of the imagery in this movie just shines Uh through time and time again and it's something that is from start to finish. <laughs> uh, I wondered if, yeah, if he's like the new flesh, if that's why he had both a vagina, a chest vagina, and a and a and a gun penis. So <laughs> I'm like, is that the whole point there? Or I don't know. I, I didn't understand much, but uh, it, I don't know. There was just a lot of a lot to take in. Nikki Brand's show was called Cram. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was just uh i love it when they just throw you all sorts of random nonsense yeah and she had she basically had like a relationship like call-in show on the uh the radio mm-hmm. station as she worked at she called everybody lover I'm like man when am i gonna get to a stage in my life where i'm so cool i can randomly call people lover when i'm not <laughs> actually you know mixing up with them but you know what was really interesting so you know this is 1983 mm-hmm. we're talking video we're talking cathode rays and now, like, we're seeing all of these different articles, like, from scientific journals talking about, you know, uh, <laughs> the progress that we're doing and uploading consciousness into, like, a digital realm, which I have no fucking clue how close we are. I'm willing to bet it's not very. But the fact that these conversations are being had is kind of fucking insane. And uh, there's just no way he could have predicted that. Although, mm, you know, it's just one of those things where if you if you take a... a a seed and then you kind of imagine how far it can go i guess you know you could do that then although well i'm gonna let you talk now so i can <laughs> put my thoughts together well, i mean i guess it depends on what type of seed we're talking about because some seeds are just bad to begin with oh <laughs> you gotta throw <laughs> a lamp that, at them yeah <laughs> i mean throwing lamps is always the plus in my book uh you know no lamps were thrown <laughs> in this one there, there was definitely a lot of whipping involved uh, a lot of hallucinating, a, a lot of hallucinating, <laughs> and you know, like something I didn't even mention uh, when the secretary basically dropped off like the uh, the morning videotape. Uh, basically, Max had hallucinating that like he struck her. Yes, so he was violent towards every person he knew. Although she was the only one who got away. Mm-hmm. So uh, her name wasn't Friday; it was Friday. Oh, it was but- Bride. Okay. Yeah, but it's like, the, you know, they just changed one letter in her name and she's essentially the absolute same character as your girl Friday. Um, so that was that was kind of cute. And but yeah, she was the only one who got away from the people that he talked to extensively that, you know, everybody else died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, but, yeah, I think what was really Bullshit. funny, though, like at the start was when Max was so fixated on the video drone stream, he's like, man, like, this is so simplistic. There's, like, no plot. It's just torture. This is made for, like, no money. There's no budget. I mean, which it's is true. profit. For a lot of horror <laughs> filmmaking, like, you make it for cheap. You can make a ton of money. It is mostly profit. And then, you know, you could pull that into maybe a bigger budget project. Oh, man. And did you, uh, did you happen to see the original name of the movie? I did not it was, know. It was, so Videodrome is quite the step up from Network of Blood. Nice. Yes, that was the original name, original name of the movie. So good job, David. That was a good call. Changing it up. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't just and, a network of blood, though. It wasn't it wasn't all violence and murder. There's some sex in there. too. There was a lot of BDSM. <laughs> but yeah, like and also this was public access. Like what the <laughs> channel 83 folks. Yeah, know? we're not we're not painting any happy trees over here. 
you know? <laughs> and this is in Canada. I thought they were supposed to be nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, David Cronenberg. Oh, yeah. So I kind of want to go watch a, a bunch more of his movies just because I'm in a David Cronenberg mood now. Mm-hmm. However, that's not what we're watching next week. Nope. We're watching. Are we, are we doing it? Are we doing yeah, are doing, I mean, uh, it, it, are we walking the line between sci-fi and horror? <laughs> it's your pick. I mean, it wouldn't be Yay! the first time I've dove into sci-fi horror. Yeah, you know, it's just I love that line anyway. I love walking that line. So we're watching Ex Machina, and I'm so stoked about that. I mean, ev- ever since I saw that movie, I've been such a huge fan, and it's just mm, chef kiss. You know, like it's mm-hmm. it's one of those where I just think it's like this movie is brilliant. This movie you can watch a million times and see something different each time. So I'm very excited to be to be uh, to be bringing that bringing that in, and now we can compare like the different sort of approaches to technology and them being evil and whatnot. That's it's good stuff. It's good stuff. I'm super. Yeah. Excited. So we're basically going from uh, okay, we have a TV show that depicts a lot of sex and violence to all right, let's make robots. And then the first question you always ask is, well, can you fuck it? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good times but yeah ex machina is definitely uh one that stood out in like recent i shouldn't say recent years it's it's not it's not new like five years old or something this was ex machina was released in 2014 (gasps) that's it seems so long ago (laughs) i can't believe it i would have been like oh is it four years is it three years no but it's not quite it's so fucking good Ugh. but yes uh, and and we get to see some of the uh uh, the more famous uh, movie stars, I mean, that are now in like our Star Wars movies and whatnot. So mm-hmm. that's really fun. And it's it's one of those like really uh, um, a movie that all deals with the ethics of, of technology. And, and those are always really interesting mm-hmm. uh, questions to sort of uh, explore. Yeah. So I'll, I am excited. Especially the aspect last- of uh, how far you should push technology. Yes. The fine and, line. You know, the whole God complex mm-hmm. and it's pretty fucking great. And but before we go, I mean, what are your last thoughts on Video Drum? I mean, this movie is fucking genius. I love it so much. I had such a good time. Mm-hmm. Did, I'm guessing you're in the same boat. I are we in the same I, boat? I absolutely love this movie. And one of the things, like even about like the promotional purposes of this movie, I remember rewatching the trailer and I linked it in initial tweet when we announced that we were doing a Video Drum. And I, I watched mm-hmm. I watched the initial TV trailer again. Because I never actually seen it. And it turns out, like, that trailer was basically all made on a Commodore 64. <laughs> Which is like, wait, what? Like, I saw that, and I was like, I was I was tripping. I was like, this is so weird. I don't think the trailer did, like, a, a good enough depiction of what the movie actually is. But just that little factoid was enough to, like, really raise my eyebrow. That's pretty cool. And did you learn anything from Videodrome? Uh, well, I mean, this is just confirmation that Cronenberg was well ahead of his time. And, you know, this ideology of technology and uh, how much we're consumed by it. You know, like, this is relevant just, like, even more so today mm-hmm. than it more was released so in 1983. And that is not an argument that you can make for a number of films. It's a very small list. So for Cronenberg to be on it... And then for him to eventually, you know, break out and do even more within body horror. I mean, this this guy has done it all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't say he's never missed, but he's made a lot of hits and a lot of movies that have stood the test of time. Well, you know, it's just really impressive to see somebody who's got such a talent and drive. When you put those two things together, amazing things happen. And it's um, it's really cool to see like his work. Uh, progressing over the years and it's just mm, amazing although i would say what i learned from the movie particularly from samurai's dream would be that it, it's kind of cheeky to uh, uh dress up your sex toys and leave them out in uh, in plain sight so that's a nice <laughs> little trick i might try that one of these days that's um that, that, that sounds kind of fun I, I i don't know if that's better or worse than the guys who like literally take the real dolls out with them and like dress them up and then like they go out on dates it's better. It's better. It's better than that. That's a lot of that's that's, that. that's that's a lot a lot weirder. That's a that's that's really sad. <laughs> and those people need friends and or cats. Perspective. Friends or cats. <laughs> or cats. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> friends are cats. Wait, cats are mm-hmm. friends. Same difference. It's good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I learn a lot. 
All right, so again, next week, Ex Machina, released in 2014, directed by Alex Garland to continue our deep dive into technophobia. Uh, but for now, guys, again, thank you so much for joining us here tonight on Handle a Whisker. If you want to contact the show, you can do so via Twitter at Handle Whisker. You can email the show at handlewhiskerpod at gmail.com. There's our website at handlewhiskerpod.com, and our Discord community link is over in our show notes. But for now, that will do it for us here tonight. Uh, quick birthday shout out to Joe, because uh, I know you guys are going out to the bar yes. uh, right after this, and that's uh, why we're recording <laughs> earlier tonight. But enjoy your night, Holly. Thank you. Great movie to kick off Technophobia, and I can't wait to dive into Ex Machina next week with you. Oh, yeah. That's going to be fantastic. All right, then. We'll see you next time. The captain's off. Long live the new flesh. Long live the new flesh.